We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So this was an interesting set of chapters, as always. There, there were a couple of topics in here, though, that I think were timely for, for right now. Especially because like in the in the Sunday school manual, there's a couple of headings for the different sections. And one is God gathers us to bless us. And the other is God's people must be one. And I think right now when we've had restrictions on gathering, which are loosening, but we've gone the better part of a year um, without being able to have normal meetings and normal interactions, even virtually is fine. But, you know, it is not quite the same as being in person with people in a room. I think we we've been taught to value that even more like when we do have the opportunity to be back together again and, and share the same space for a couple of hours every Sunday, like to really value that time more. And also at the same time to not rely on it so completely that we don't know what to do if it's not available to us. You know, that's the two lessons really I, I think I've learned from the pandemic about about church attendance and such is that one Value it when you get it back. And two, make sure that if you can't have it or if for whatever reason you can't attend, that that's not you're not missing so much that you can't maintain a testimony. Yeah, I, I've had similar thoughts along that. What comes to my mind is the widow's might uh, parable. Uh, in this sense, we often use it to mean money, you know, but in this sense, the best she could do was a might. And the Lord honored that above the fanciest, well-clothed individual dumping a bucket of gold into the offering trough, whatever, right? Yeah. And and I think, like you said, when we have the opportunity to be more physically close or, or to be more in a beautiful building, sure, do it the best you can and enjoy it but if all you can do is a cup of read a little bit at home have a small discussion and have the sacrament that can be like the widow's might where it it could appear as if it's not that grand or or fancy but it could be even more meaningful to the lord that that you did whatever you could yeah, I, I think that in a lot of ways, because it has felt so different to us to not be able to attend a two-hour block now, and we feel like, oh, this is this is not enough, or I'm not getting as much out of it. And really, I think, I mean, the tendency is to feel that way, but we really need to recognize, like, what is the purpose of a sacrament meeting? Do we have to all be together for it to be valid? And yeah, we do 
you, you feel probably more connected with one another. There's more sense of community when you're all in the same room. But at the same time, like, what is the purpose of sacrament? It's really a personal experience, right? Especially the the ordinance itself. You're sharing it with one another. You're serving one another. But there's also like this aspect of introspection and all of that that you don't lose, even if you have to do it in your own home. You have gr- maybe even greater freedom to take as much time as you would like to do introspection and to think about, you know, what can I work on? That there's nobody coming up to the microphone to say, okay, time's up. You know, when you're at your house, you can you can maybe pair that with some reading a talk um, or or reading the scriptures or something that kind of help you get in that in that mood. I think that in many ways it's been a, a strengthening thing as well. And as we go back to going to, to attend church again, uh, physically, full time, in person, I think that there need to be some things we take back with us back to that meeting. Yeah. You know, maybe some of the stuff we've learned over the last while. And really, if nothing else, just the gratitude that we can all meet together. And I mean, I moved during the pandemic and I barely know anyone because, you know, a lot of times your social interactions with your neighborhood and with people around you is in church. And, you know, even if they aren't members of the church, I could interact with them and the pandemic kind of put up a barrier there, too. But um, it just it's going to be an opportunity to to reach out and, and have greater unity, I think, in a congregation. You know when when you're when you're sick and either you know you're not feeling well body aches whatever whatever the sickness is and then while you're sick you're like man I took for granted how good it was <laughs> just to like function normally or be able to breathe out of both my nose and my <laughs> nostrils you know or you know little simple things and I think sometimes trials or things can help us be grateful for when we don't have the trials or difficulties and you know there there's a lot of things that uh have come from this pandemic that have been challenging and then there's some that have been a blessing in disguise a lot of it has to do with with what we how we choose to look view things our outlook and how we choose to use our agency you know there are opportunities to well if if this aspect of my life is restricted then maybe i can focus on this aspect of my life where now i have more time to and you never know you know that's part of like the the living in the moment and and seeking revelation to what you should do one of the things with this section these sections that i thought was interesting i'm going to give a really high level overview and you jump in because it's kind of hard for me unless i i um I use like the, the Institute manual, but in this one, it looks like in, in section 37, the Lord gives a revelation to Sidney Rigdon about uh, going to Colville, it sounds like. Uh, he's going to go almost like on a missionary tour, but there's spe- special emphasis given to, to this place in Colville where there, it's almost like there's people there that are, have much faith and are kind of prepared. And then later in verse 39, it gives specific revelation for this guy named James Covell, who seems to be a leader of sorts of that area. And then he's then promised many, many blessings. And then in the last verse, verse 40, it's kind of you had all these opportunities and blessings, but in the end you feared change and persecution or your pride. And so you cannot take advantage of these. Yeah, James James Covell is an interesting 
character here because he was a pretty prominent Methodist preacher. And he would often go all over New York into different areas to um, preach the gospel according to the Methodists. And um, in, in section 39 is when he's kind of getting a revelation directly to him because he's heard about the gospel. He's kind of dabbled in the church a little bit. He's heard about Joseph Smith and he's met him and all this stuff. And he's basically being told, hey, listen, if you believe all this, it's time to be baptized. And then here's all the blessings that can come, right? Thou art called to labor in my vineyard and to build up my church and bring forth Zion that it may rejoice upon the hills and flourish in verse 13. Ye are not called to go to the eastern countries, but thou art called to go to the Ohio. And this is kind of where things happen. He was used to going to um, the eastern part of New York and different areas like that. And when he was called to go to Ohio, it was kind of like, yeah, but I don't have any connections there. I know everybody. I know all the religious inner workings of the region where I'm used to going. Why on earth would he send me to Ohio? And really, it's kind of a cautionary tale, this James Covell thing, because like you said, in section 40, uh, we get the, it, this is, you know, the one-way letters that we get. Uh, we don't get the really the response from, from James. But we see that the Lord's disappointed. He's like, look, I made all these promises to you. And he received the word with gladness, but straight away Satan tempted him. And the fear of persecution and the cares of the world caused him to reject the word. And wherefore he broke my covenant, and it remaineth with me to do with him as seemeth me good. He... He had the opportunity as a prolific preacher, as someone who understood the scriptures, as someone who understood the concepts of the gospel very well, to be probably a very powerful leader within the church. And the Lord was calling him to do it. And he got, I think, a little bit shaken by the idea that people were going to see him as, wait a second, you were one of us. You were a Methodist like us. And now what are you doing? You know, you're a fool. Or or he didn't have the latitude he had before, or felt like he didn't have the latitude. Yet. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot of the a lot of the relationships and friendships that he had with kind of the society among all the Methodists and among different sects in that area, he was no longer going to be able to tap into that. A lot of getting indoors to be able to preach to people, he wasn't going to be able to do that because they're not going to let him come teach this stuff, right? It reminds me of the hymn, "I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord." You know. Mm. I'll say what you want me to say, say. where there's there's a this happens with all of us where we 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 want something or we accept a calling or it sounds good. But then when it's time to go do it and we realize, oh, there's an obstacle or it's not the way I thought it was going to be or man, I did the same calling in my old word and it was really easy and all these things worked. And in this one, it doesn't seem to be working and it's like, well, maybe you need to change things or change your approach or, you know, and, and I find that the Lord loves to put us in uncomfortable situations for our growth. And sometimes we view uncomfortable situations and take the least path of resistance or revert back to what we know or what we were good at, you know. And I feel like that's kind of what James, James has done here, where it, it might have been uncomfortable, it might have been different. And he just reverts to what he was good at. Well, just imagine going every single year to the same place to teach and to try and convert people. And then one year you show up and you're representing a different church and you're teaching different stuff. People are going to be like, what happened to you? What, what is this guy about? You know, and 
can we trust anything he says? You know, it, it would put him put you in, a, in an interesting spot. And the Lord is saying, I don't want you to do that. And well, the, the urge for him to go to Ohio comes from Section 37, where we learn that the Lord is actually telling everybody to go to Ohio. There's been so many converts in Ohio that they've kind of started to outnumber everyone else. And they're like, we need to go strengthen the saints in New York to move to Ohio and send other people to go strengthen the saints in Ohio and replenish those numbers. And everybody, we're headed out. You know, I thought it was really funny. Well, not funny, but interesting that when the Lord gave these commandments in, in section 30, 38, you know, to to um, he says the Ohio, go yeah. to the Ohio, which part of me thinks, well, if this was made up, that's an easy thing to change because it doesn't sound right, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the other part of me, I started looking. I, I went to the the history of the name Ohio, which means good river, or and it comes from a French word translated the Belle Riviere or the beautiful river. So then, if you insert that there, go to the good river or go to the beautiful. Then it made a little bit more sense. It was just kind of interesting to me how it was the Ohio. So there, the saints, most of them are moving from Fayette all the way to Kirtland, Ohio. But then they're also sending missionaries back to continue to preach to the saints in Colesville, Harmony, Fayette, Palmyra, you know, all those places. Yeah, and the reason reason why is because after Joseph kind of came out in the church conference and said, hey, everybody, revelations come that we're, we're going to move to Ohio. A lot of the saints were kind of like, wait a second, what? But we're doing fine here. And yeah, we're getting persecuted and stuff. But I mean, like I have a farm and a life and a and a mortgage and a, like you just want me to pick up and leave? And to what? We don't even know where we're going to live. Like it's it's it was a at first a, a very negative response. And then I think as it says in some of the stuff I've read, that after a night of fasting and prayer, many were converted to the idea and were like, okay, we need to follow the prophet. And if this is what it means, you know, there's a lot of talk about establishing Zion. And okay, if that's what our objective is, then we all probably ought to be together to do that because it's going to be really hard to do that in separate spread out places. There are a couple of things in section 38 that really stood out to me. Verse 14 uh, it says, but I will tell, tell it unto you that ye are blessed, not because of your iniquity, neither your hearts of unbelief. For verily, some of you are guilty before me, but I will be merciful unto your weakness. And then 15, therefore be ye strong from henceforth. Fear not, for the kingdom is yours. And I really, really liked that because he's basically saying, look, I know that some of you have shortcomings and some of you are guilty of, of maybe not being 100% following what I'm saying. I'm going to be merciful unto you. So now that you know that, be strong from now on. Don't be afraid. You can achieve this. So one thing I, I found interesting along those lines is there's the Lord. There's a if you read it this section, you you see that the Lord is very insightful into their concerns mm -hmm. and will often give them promises that are far, far outweigh their concerns. You know. And in verse uh, 20 is interesting where he says, and this shall be my covenant with you. You shall have it, which means a land of promise in verse 19. You shall have it for a land of your inheritance and for the inheritance of your children forever. While the earth shall stand and you shall possess it again in eternity, 
no more to pass away. It's kind of like a like a a promise now and a promise after this life, you know. And and then in verse 22, I found was really interesting because it says, "Wherefore hear my voice and follow me, and you shall be a free people, and you shall have no laws but my laws when I come, for I am your lawgiver, and what can stay my hand?" For and then and then these three principles. For verily I say unto you, teach one another according to my to the office wherewith I have appointed you, and let every man esteem his brother as himself, and practice virtue and holiness before me. And I say unto you, let every man esteem his brother as himself. Where I was thinking about this, as I thought about this verse, is I was thinking how often we tend to nowadays it's it's easy to try to separate the principles of the gospel and what we believe in and the principles of kindness and loving and charity and, and pure love of Christ. And we try to separate those from political or social policies or or popularity. And this is just my opinion. What I kind of took from this is like these two things should be one in the same. We should be seeking to follow the Lord's laws in all that we do and in the laws of man and pursue to to help the laws of man become more aligned with the Lord's laws. And, and the way I see the disparity in this is often I see people who either criticize the church for acting as a church <laughs> because it doesn't fall within the current political climate or political ideology that people have accepted or, or, or the think that the church should follow. Or we, we kind of say, these things I agree with and I believe these principles of charity and love and freedom for all, but then I espouse these political principles that can at times feel like they're at odds. Or I see people that try to separate, oh, I... That's a church topic. We talk about that in church, not here. And and I think the more we are the same in both, in all places, I think the more we are, have integrity and the more I think we please the Lord. You know, to follow the Lord and be free is to follow his laws. And his laws are based on gospel principles. And then when he tells us to follow his laws, he then gives us, two or three things teach each other in whatever office I have appointed you, which to me makes it in what you have responsibility to teach each other in. And there may be things that are not in the office appointed to you. Maybe don't worry about those. Let the people that are appointed to handle those things, handle those things, right? And esteem every man as his brother. And practice virtue and holiness before me. And, you know, I just think we really should think about that, especially in our day. Our bishop today, he said something that really stuck with me. As he said, he was announcing that our ward was going to, is preparing to return to our normal schedule. And that as we do that, there will be varying opinions, that there's a lot of varying opinions in how COVID and how to handle it or what restrictions and, and this and that. And he, and he said something to the line of, don't let your desire to be right overpower your need to be kind. Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, and it, it really stuck with me because I thought, huh, is it being right at the expense of our neighbors worth it? And how does Christ deal with us? Because he definitely is right. He knows beginning from the beginning to the end of everything. He knows everything. How does he treat us? He is patient. He's long-suffering. He invites. He's there. He corrects, but then with sharpness or accuracy, and then shows an increased amount of love after and encourages. He doesn't cast the people away. You know, and if we go to the Book of Mormon, he says, come here and buy milk and honey without money, without price. Come take of the good stuff. And if and if we are asked to treat others that way, especially during this time where there are a lot of opinions and there are some good things and bad things. Is our need to be right overpowering our ability to be kind? Well, that kind of goes hand in hand with verse 27 behold this is this i have given you as a parable and it is even as i am i say unto you be one and if ye are not one ye are not mine and again i say unto you that the enemy in the secret chamber seeketh your lives ye hear of wars in far countries and you say that there will soon be great wars in far countries but ye know not the hearts of men in your own land <laughs> wow cool. That that to me is so relevant. I mean, it you can take it literally in wars and the wars are happening all over and we're so concerned about that, but we don't look after our own neighbor. You can also look at that figuratively, you know, that there's so many distractions outside of your the people that are right in front of you, the people that are in your community, your own family, your own neighbor, your own that they just that you know, the adversary is seeking after your life. And maybe it's just distracting you. Maybe that's all it takes. And goes on, I tell you these things because of your prayers. Wherefore, treasure up wisdom in your bosoms, lest the wickedness of men reveal these things unto you by their wickedness, in a manner which shall speak into your ears with a voice louder than that which shall shake the earth. But if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear, and that ye may escape the power of the enemy and be gathered unto me as a righteous people without spot and blameless. He's saying, don't let the adversaries distractions overpower mm. that's interesting small voice you know i've never seen i don't recall ever hearing an example of how loud the opposition is as in that script that verse right there because we're very used to it's a still small voice you know you know in in the old testament uh the voice was not found in the wind or in the earthquake or in you know this it was a still small voice right but it literally tells us here lest the wicked men reveal things unto you by their wickedness in a manner which shall speak in your ear with the voice louder than that which shall shake the earth meaning they are this calamity this desire to get your attention and distract you is going to be as if someone is yelling at you and um, that, 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 that's not the way to get through to people if you're looking at what is Satan's way and what's God's way, Satan's way is by yelling and overpowering and and just, you know, bashing people into submission. That's not the Lord's way. The Lord's way is, think about when the Savior came to the Americas. They heard something. They felt it pierce their soul, right? They didn't know what it said, so they listened closer. 
they heard it again and they were like did you guys hear you guys heard that right you know like and it wasn't until the third time that they heard this is my beloved son and that's how the lord works he will not ever bludgeon you into submission by by telling you you have to do this and ah the 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 prophet will never go to the pulpit and yell at us during general conference it's time to quit being lazy you need to get your acts together but he'll do it in a kind loving respectful way right that's the lord's way and what he's saying is that there will be people and things that overpower that still small voice that seek to just drown it out with noise you see it all the time that people feel so adamantly about something that they they feel like the only way I can get this across is to be super obnoxious about it. And well, it's like, well, that's not true. It's interesting because we with this bombardment of information, I think Satan does not care what he's sending your way. He's just sending whatever's going to get your attention. And sometimes it could be 10 truths hiding one little lie. And if he can get you with 10 truths to you know believe one lie... Then next time, maybe he can get you with nine truths to believe two lies, you know, and so forth and so on until he's shifted you into worrying and being concerned about other things. And what what this desire to for the saints to congregate, to migrate or to build Zion is this desire to seek shelter from the storm, to find a place where you can not constantly being in conflict with others or being bombarded likewise in our day we have our zions all over the earth this uh our our words our churches the temples for holy uh for our holy um ordinances that we do are all places where you can listen to the still small voice it's almost like we prepare ourselves we cast away our worries and we come to a place where we can then regain perspective. And how valuable is that? I think almost everyone does some form of seek shelter and recharge yourself. We do it through music, through art, through entertainment, through you know hiking, camping, all of these things, which are good. But there is one recharging of our inner understanding of why we're here what are we doing what's the purpose of this life what's the really big picture and and that's kind of like how you started at the beginning mentioning how the the being able to have church from home you know being able to you know our our homes can be a place of shelter and it says you know it kind of goes back to that those two phrases be one and if you're not one you're not mine and also uh, you hear of wars in far countries, but you know not the hearts of men in your own land. I think if you really want to be one, it starts with, number one, your relationship with your Savior. That's step one. Number two, if you're married, then your relationship with your spouse. And if you have a family, then your relationship with your family. Be one as a family. And then expand from there. Then it's your neighborhood, your ward. And then it's, you know that's your sphere of influence begins number one between you and the savior. And if you're not attending to that, if you're so worried about, you know, other things in the world and in your life that you can't maintain and uphold a relationship with the savior, you are going to be really, it's going to be really difficult to establish a relationship between you and your family and the savior, right. And to create that feeling of sanctuary in your home because you don't even have it yourself. I mean, that's probably the hardest part 
is to maintain that. But it's also the most important part. Start with there and then move out in those circles. And you'll start to see that 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 place of refuge, you don't have to leave your home to find refuge in peace. That should be the first place you go. When it comes down to it, I think he gives us that warning that we need to be one and that we need to not be distracted by the things that are out there that will try to speak louder. And then we get a perfect example of something that happens with James Covell about that happening in, in section 39, verse 9. Nevertheless, thou hast seen great sorrow, for thou hast rejected me many times because of pride and the cares of the world. And that's exactly it. Like, if we allow our own pride and our own fixation on things that aren't pertaining to salvation to get in the way of us seeking to be one with him and one with one another, then we'll end up just like James Covell, distracted, taken away from that which is most valuable, taken away from all those promises that we've been given. He was given so many promises and just let them go because he was too worried about what other people would think or how he would feel or the uncomfortable situation he would be in. And that that's a cautionary tale for us to not fall into that same spot, to not be too prideful to to just follow sometimes. At the end of verse or section 38, verse 39, where he, he says, and, and if ye seek the riches, which it is the will of the Father to give unto you, you shall ye shall be the richest people, riches of all people. For you shall have riches of eternity. It must needs be that the riches of the earth are mine to give. But beware of pride, lest you become as the Nephites of old. It's it's funny that he, one is, <laughs> he kind of mentions that the riches are his to give. And, and you can seek these riches. We need to be wise in how we interpret the phrase riches. What are riches? Is he talking about Bitcoin? Is he talking about <laughs> dollars? Talking about gold? Um, but ultimately is blessings. But beware of pride lest you become as the Nephites of old. We should be very cautious of when we are blessed, even when we have, especially because we're blessed when we have done the good things we should be doing, that we don't, that we remain humble and that we appreciate we're appreciative and we acknowledge that it comes from the Lord and that we don't use it now as pride to see how great we are or look how and and it's not to say that we should be always disparaging of ourselves and our abilities you know there's a big difference between being humble in the Lord's way that he asks us to be humble and not having any confidence or being you know uh, always always unable to accept the compliment because we're trying to come across as humble but the lord knows our heart just as when we cannot give anything more but it's all we can give he knows our heart like the widow's might and knows that our offering is acceptable likewise if we are very we do a lot of things and we have a big checklist of things that we take great pride in. He may also know our heart and all those things may not count for anything. And then uh, the verse 40 was also interesting where he says, I, and again, I say unto you, I give unto you a commandment that every man, both elder, priest, teacher, and also member, go to with his might, with the labor of his hands to prepare and accomplish the things which I have commanded. And I think that's interesting because 
I like in Doctrine and Covenants, I think it's section 89, the, the, the word of wisdom where he says, adapted to even the weakest saint, I give you this word of wisdom. And I feel like it's almost similar to this commandment here where he says, uh, to everyone, elder, priest, teacher, member, to labor with your minds, contribute, find a way of contributing. And I think, I don't know, I, I find interesting that the Lord knows we all have limitations. We all have different abilities, talents. We are not going to output the same amount on anything. Some will run a little quicker. Some will be slower. Some will be better painters. Some will be better carpenters. Some will be better at math. Others will be better at music. You know, but he's saying, come labor, come help, come contribute. And I'm always fascinated by individuals who, when it's asked, hey, does anybody know how to play the piano? And somebody will say, oh, well, I'm not that good, but I'll do it. And you can tell, like, maybe they made a little mistake or they say, oh, I can only do this hymn. And we end up just singing that hymn. I think I'm always very appreciative of people like that because yeah. they gave it a shot. They went and did it. And we were all blessed because of it. Very rarely does the Lord call and we are ready made. We know exactly how to do it. And then, or we're going to the Salt Lake Valley. We have built a motorized hand cart. We have everything, <laughs> uh, climate control. You know, no, it's trial and error, little by little. We do the best we can. I don't know. I just feel that part of our existence here on this life is to learn how to progress. We often put a lot of emphasis on becoming perfect as, as if it's this finish line or this completion or, or this you know we have arrived in everything in our life that cycles through time our, our waking up our going to bed our aging the seasons the growing the sowing the planting all that stuff the it's teaching us that we we need to progress we need to learn to what do i know now i only know what i know until i know a little bit more and then i'll act on that and we're told that, you know, we, we listen to the voice of the spirit, we act upon it. We do whatever. President Oaks on the LDS.org, he put a little message for the month that was that, that was really interesting. Uh, it's titled, he did it on the 15th. It's a four-minute read, or you can listen to him. The title is, Hear Him to Bring Others Closer to Him. And it says, when the Lord invites us to hear him, we have... We, he was appealing to each of us in our own individual circumstance with our own cultural awareness and our own ability to understand the message. It was just really interesting because he said he, he was going to give in Chicago in, 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 uh, in the Far East branch he, or West branch. He was going to give a talk and on his way there, he had the impression to talk about his experience in the court system and in specifically about shoplifting and the consequences of shoplifting. And he said to himself, as weird as this sounded, I decided to do it. And then he, he then says that after he was approached by a mother crying, saying, this is so great because my son needed to hear him. He has been involved in some of these things. And he was paying attention to you in a way that I've never seen him pay attention to anyone. He says, as I pondered the experience in the Aurora branch so many years ago, I related to it in many of my talks I have given. I am rarely assigned a particular subject, but the Lord has been good to me in impressions and subjects I should speak about. 
for reasons I cannot explain. My pattern in preparing and giving talks has been a focus on gospel doctrines and not on my own personal experiences. So when I receive a strong impression to speak about a personal experience, I listen to that impression and try to hear him and follow him. There are times when one or two people in the congregation really needed to hear a particular subject. I, I think it's really interesting how he says on there, I've made a practice of preparing and giving talks and focusing on gospel doctrine. So then when I get an impression to go a little bit outside of that, then I know I should. Where I think, I, I, I think the majority of us turn that around the other way. How can I share my experience and bend that into a gospel principle? When you receive an impression, act upon it. However unusual it seems or however inadequate you feel in following it, act upon it. There is a reason for it. Now, I know, especially President Monson, he always kind of talked about this topic, like act upon your impressions. And then he would follow it up with an awesome story, like I to go to the temple or to go to the hospital. And then somebody was there saying, it was my birthday and I prayed for the prophet to come see me. Like this like yes. Hallmark picture. The one thing that caught me about President Oaks was when he said, however unusual it seems, because that for me is the biggest burden. Like if something seems normal and usual, I'll act upon it. But when I think in my mind that's really unusual, then I kind of think that's my own crazy brain. That's my own weird way of looking at the world. But uh, it really stuck to me about if even if it feels unusual or weird, in other words, like, that I should act upon it. So yep. that's something I've been thinking about lately is like, what can I do to exercise my act upon it muscle? You know? <laughs> Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.